Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Nava here with uh, a one-man car. My partner is uh, is still getting better, and so uh, keep him in your prayers. And so he's going to take the day off. Uh, we have a good show. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, well in the first segment, just uh, about the the word Catholic, and uh, we're oftentimes you know we we are uh, we're hit by uh, non-Catholic Christians uh, saying, "Hey, where in the Bible does it say Catholic?" And we're you know. They don't believe that it's the it's the, the first church when we tell them that Jesus Christ started our church. So, I'll talk a little bit about that, and uh, um, and then we're gonna get have a guest on, and he's going to be uh, he's gonna be a, a he's a powerful young man who's doing some good things uh, for men in the community, and uh, we'll we'll love to introduce you to him. And uh, so that's on the second segment. Um, so anyway. Uh, how did the elections go in your area? Uh, we're we're uh, here in, in California. It was a lot of the same old, same old. But uh, we did get uh, our governor is going to have a runoff with, but uh, who knows if it's going to be close? And our governor uh, Newsom, as you know, he's uh, he's one of the most liberal governors we've in in, in all of the United States. Uh, so he'll be uh, he didn't get the I guess the necessary votes to avoid a runoff, but. Um, then also uh, we had uh, our sheriff election here, and and it's going to be a runoff between the, our our current sheriff and a and a, a challenger. And uh, what was interesting to see was that uh, the uh, DA from San Francisco, he was uh, he was recalled. So there's uh, there's hope for that uh, the LA DA can be recalled, and I think the people start got have to start taking back their 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 communities because these. Um, Leftist DAs have no business in that office. All right. So, anyway, um, I hope you're doing well. And um, today is the uh, is Thursday. You know, in the week of, after Pentecost, and you know we continue to to pray for the church. And um, so let's talk a little bit about this Saint Evodius of Antioch. Who who was that? His feast uh, day was May sixth, I believe, and. Uh, he was, Evodius was one of the 72 disciples of Christ, and the Catholic tradition um, has always held that he was the first bishop of Antioch after St. Peter. So he was taught by Peter himself, most likely, and we're not sure in what year he assumed the position, but as the bishop of Antioch, he was the first to coin the word Christian to refer to the disciples of Jesus. So he died probably between the years of 64 to 67, and when he was uh, succeeded by Ignatius of Antioch, and um, most of you've heard of Ignatius of Antioch, he's he's a powerful figure as one of our early church fathers. He has a lot of uh, good things to say, and uh, so uh, our very own Jesse may be writing a, another book. And so um, some of these things, some of these questions are coming from his book that he, that's that's in the works. I hope I'm not spoiling it for you, Jesse. <laughs> But uh, the first question uh, people ask is, where is the word Christian in the Bible? And uh, so Acts 11.26, um, 
for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a large group of people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Paul and Barnabas were evangelizing and discipling people in Antioch, verses uh, 22-26. So there's the, there's the answer to that question. And, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's a... It's uh, it stands to reason, you know. If you're following, uh, well, just think about the heresies, you know. And when we, Bishop Arius, the the heresy was called the Arian heresy, you know. Uh, it, we're following Christ, so the his followers more than likely would be called Christians, you know, after him. And so that's not uh, that's not too hard to deduce, but. Uh, so let's ask the next question here. Uh, next question that was was given to us was which apostle gave us the root word for catholic and the word christian in his gospel and the answer to that would be saint luke now we know that saint luke saint luke he he wrote for saint paul and uh he followed him around he was a doctor he wrote the book of acts and um between 60 and 67 ad and it was saint luke that wrote the word Catholics in Acts nine thirty one, and which is cognate for the for the word Catholic. In in addition, he wrote the word Christian in Acts eleven twenty six, which we said earlier. While he was in the city of Antioch, all this was inspired by God. So, uh, it is, all Scripture is inspired by God, which is Second Timothy three sixteen. So, for that to be entered, for that to have made its way into the whole sacred Scripture, that. Uh, you know, our, our Lord and Savior must have wanted it to be known. So anyway, um, that's, that's how, where the first time, uh, Catholic is, is, is mentioned. Uh, what church father used the word Catholic as the name of the, the church of Jesus Christ? And that was, that was the, the very same Ignatius of Antioch. And, and he's most famous for saying, well, I would say most famous, but this is one of his, his very, uh, famous statements that he made. And uh, he says um, that the church established by Jesus Christ, he, his quote was, where the bishop appears, let there, there let the people be, just as where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. So he called Catholic Church, this was in 107 AD, so it's the first time in recorded uh, history that, you know, it's written... Um, like this, and and he said it. Ignatius he he used the term Catholic as the name of the church in his letter to the Smyrnians, um, section uh, chapter eight verse two. And Ignatius of Antioch he also called the followers of Jesus Christ Christians. Undoubtedly, the word Catholic, which means universal, okay, and uh, it was in use before that time. How do we know this? Because when his writings he, he used the term kind of. As a matter of fact, or very cavalier, like if if everybody knows it. I mean, come on, like how how would the kids say it today? Duh, you know, <laughs> that's that's kind of how it was when uh, Ignatius was saying that. This would indicate that the term Catholic was already common knowledge amongst the Christians and part of sacred tradition that Ignatius had most likely received. And so, Saint Ignatius was not taught in some Western seminary, right, <laughs> or Bible college. He knew the apostles and was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. In fact, St. Ignatius of Antioch was also the young child 
mentioned by our Lord Jesus in Matthew 18, 2 to 4. That's from tradition, and I bet you didn't know that. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say that. We have a high high IQ listeners here, so but there's a lot of people who do not know that, and that, that is awesome. Tradition tells us that Ignatius was appointed the second bishop of Antioch by Peter. Ignatius used the term Christian to identify the followers of Jesus Christ in his letter to the Magnesians, and he called the congregation of followers the Catholic Church. And Ignatius, he knew the followers of Christ were were called Christian because they that term was used in, first in Antioch, again, Acts 20, 11, 26, when his predecessor Evodius was bishop of the diocese of Antioch. It is therefore reasonable that Ignatius, who knew Jesus and the apostles, most likely heard from them that the assembly of the followers was called the Catholic Church. A cognate term for Catholic is found in Acts 9, 31. It's translated in our English Bibles throughout, uh, throughout all, through uh, the word throughout all, and it is a coincidence. Is it a coincidence or God incidence that the word Catholic is used as an adjective in Saint Ignatius' letter and also in Acts nine thirty one? So I just sense that uh, Saint Luke planted the seed for the name Catholic in Acts nine thirty one. And it organically developed, and it was eventually used uh, in the early church in the name of Jesus Christ, the, in in the name as the name of that Jesus Christ established. So, it's Catholic with a big C. Um, I know some Protestant uh, friends of mine that were saying, "Well, we we pray the um, uh, some of the higher Protestant churches, you know, we we pray the Nicene Creed and." Uh, and in the one part, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, um, it's written, Catholic is written there with a small c to just mean universal church, uh, not the Catholic church that we know. Um, so the next question is, uh, is the word Catholic in St. Ignatius' letters, Smyrnians 8 2, the same word found in Acts 9.31? And the answer is below are both texts. The verse found in Acts 9.31, along with the text from Ignatius' letter to the Smyrnians, where he used the word Catholic. Um, I've underlined where the word Catholic comes from. It's basically a combination of kata, which usually translates according to, and holos, which becomes the whole in the feminine, uh, in the feminine according to the whole. Okay, so, which basically means... Uh, yeah, well, according to the whole. Ignatius' text varies slightly in, the, in that both words are combined in an adjective, adjectival form, but the words are basically the same. And uh, since I can't pronounce Greek, I'm not going to even attempt uh, that here. So uh, the next question would be, so is it more important to be called a Catholic or a Christian? And the answer is actually both titles go together. I call myself a Catholic Christian. Uh, these two words, Catholic plus Christian, joined together became the nomenclature for the early followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the historical evidence the term Catholic Christian entered into Roman imperial law when the- Theodius, the first emperor from 379 to 395, reserved the name for adherents of that religion. Anyway, um, there's more, but um, we're coming up on our break. We're, we've got a guest on the other side of the break. Remember, be bold about your faith. We are Catholic Christians. Now, 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We are back, Jesus 911. Uh, just so you know, uh, in two weeks there will be a men's conference here at the the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. And uh, we, if you haven't registered yet, uh, you're going to want to do so because uh, undoubtedly it'd be sold out as it always is. And uh, so Jesse will be there uh, giving a few talks. I will give it, be giving a talk uh, and um, on, you know, where have all the men gone, which kind of leads into uh, our upcoming guests here. Uh, he'll be plugging in shortly here. Um, it's a men's conference. This show was, you know, one of our, um, one of our goals was to to talk about muscular Christianity on this show. So we kind of highlight people that are doing good work or saints that have done amazing things. Um, this we've got to build up our men, um, ladies and gentlemen. And for you ladies that are listening, um, we have to encourage our husbands and encourage your husbands and not our husbands. I don't have a husband, <laughs> but we have you have to encourage your husbands and uh, your sons. To uh, you know, to strive to be leaders, to to strive to uh, to be the uh, the the examples and and be the the shepherds of your family. So anyway, here's our guest here. Good morning, Cord. Uh, w- welcome to the, Ch- the Jesus Nine One One Show. Good morning, Ruben. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, and thanks for being on. Uh, Jesse sends his apologies. He's uh, still uh, he's he's still not feeling well, so he's taking the day off and. Uh, but I'm sure he's listening. So uh, it's great to have you. And we had a, a conversation yesterday, and you told me a little bit about the great things that you, you're doing over there. So uh, can you just, uh, for the audience, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself, man, where you come from, you know, sure. what you've been doing. And let's get into this. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ruben. It's a great honor to, to be with you. My prayers for Jesse as he recovers. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yes. Yeah, I uh, I grew up in Southern California, so I currently live in Los Angeles. Grew up in the in the high desert, Victorville, Apple Valley. For anyone familiar with Southern California, um, grew up in a Catholic family. Didn't really encounter Jesus until I was in college. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I went through all the sacraments when I was young. Uh, fell short of um, confirmation actually through crisis in my family. My, my parents divorced, my father passed away not long after. And so I had a, I had a period of um, about five years where I was actually away from the church, mm-hmm. wasn't actively practicing. Um, it was a painful time in my life where I, I really didn't have much direction. Um, found myself at college, went to school in UC Santa Barbara because it was a party school. So uh, it just gives you a little context for where I, where I was at in my life. I was attracted to that. People were encouraged me to go there because of that. And, um, you know, after about two years of embracing everything the world had to offer, I just found myself pretty empty uh, and just dissatisfied where, where my life was at. So I, um, I, I'm, I lived actually a block away from a Catholic church and I went to mass. I felt at home. I didn't, I don't even remember what was said that day, but I just felt at home enough. So I came back the next week, got invited on a retreat and uh, it was at this retreat in the mountains. There's a university parish up there, St. Mark's, which I'm so grateful for my experience here because I came to know Jesus on this retreat in the sacrament of confession, actually just knowing God's mercy 
I, I was aware of my sinfulness, but I wasn't aware of his mercy yet up until this point where I encountered God. And I just remember the weight of the world being lifted off my shoulders as I came to know his mercy for the first time and his fatherhood for the first time. And that really changed the course of my life. Yeah. So there was that sense, though, when you were away from the church that you you knew right from wrong, right? Um, I mean, you had your, uh, because, you know, you had received, you know, baptism and the, and the other sacraments already, uh, apart from confirmation, of course. But yeah. Yeah. But so you, you, you're carrying that. And so that that's something that uh, our... Uh, Separated brothers, you know, they don't, they don't feel that, I mean, they, they could ask for, you know, forgiveness, um, you know, straight to the father, but, uh, or to Jesus, but to, you know, there's that special, uh, we have in confession, we actually hear the priest say, you know, you go, your sins are forgiven, you know, yes. uh, pardon you, you know, it's just, and it's powerful because we can't hear Jesus, but we could hear the priest speaking for him. And, uh, that's. Yeah, I've I've told people many times that that's the the best feeling in the world to come out there with like, you know, that burden off of you. It is absolutely it, it meant everything to me because I you know I'd up to that point I I essentially thought I just remember striving to earn people's love like the love of my parents and just everyone around me you know like through through uh, I was big in athletics and academics growing up and so like my worth was basically based off my performance. Mm. And so to go into confession and realize, actually, I'm loved regardless of how much I've even messed up. Like God loves me and he's willing to forgive me and he's willing to accept me back into his home. And this is where I belong. And that, that just totally destroyed that mindset that I had that I have to earn love. Mm. It wasn't true at all. It was, it's regardless of God's unconditional love. Right. All right. And so, um, so tell us about your experience as a, as a missionary. Yeah, sure. So the um, I mentioned I didn't get confirmed in high school, uh, but I, I later got confirmed because of that experience in, in college. And um, it really, I, I don't remember experiencing anything again, like during the sacrament of, of, um, of, of confirmation, but about a year and a half later, something really amazing happened where I felt really called to the mission of the church. And in college, I'd studied biology, so I was actually full-time studying endangered frogs after I graduated college. It was, it was my dream job. Um, I was hiking in the, in the Sierra, so we'd go to like Yosemite and other national parks up there, and we'd be backpacking for anywhere from two to 11 days at a time, catching frogs in these remote, beautiful, beautiful mountain scenes. And uh, But there was one day, it just meant I was hiking a lot by myself, and there's one particular day where I was just reflecting and praying and I was weighing the fact that I wasn't really able to participate in the life of the church because I was out so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very secular environment. And I just had this epiphany one day. I, I, I was uh, confronted with just weighing what I was doing. So I was putting all my effort and energy into saving frogs, which I perceived as a very good thing. That's what I wanted to do to, to save the world, to do my part, to make the world a better place. But I had to consider in this moment, like, wait, there are souls. There are human people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they might not have eternal life because of that. And so just weighing those two things, it was, it was obvious in that moment, like, okay, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start uh, doing this. I don't even know. I didn't even have the vocabulary. I, I don't think I'd ever heard of the word evangelization at that moment. Um, but I knew I want to be a missionary. I want to save souls. I want to do whatever I can to help share the gospel of Jesus. Mm. So um, 
So that uh, a couple about a year into that process of just kind of discerning where should I go, I, I discovered an organization called Net Ministries. Uh, their mission is to challenge young Catholics to love Christ and embrace the life of the church, and they do that through youth retreats. So I got to host over 100 youth retreats in Minnesota, reaching um, middle schoolers and high schoolers for about nine months. And really, that experience was so formative for me. And it's where I really discovered my primary passion, which is evangelization. Mm, That's good. Good. So you no longer were looking for that frog to kiss to turn into a prince, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Wanted to wanted to save souls, and yeah. that experience, the experience as a missionary, really imprinted on me the mission of the church, and that actually all of us, by virtue of our baptism and particularly by our confirmation, we are missionaries in the world. Yeah, and you you know mentioned that uh, there's many many people who've never heard the gospel, but then. There's many people who have heard the gospel and have fallen away, with, you know, on deaf ears. It's, it, you know, that the seeds were planted, but it was never, you know, fertilized, and uh, and so that we there's a big uh, a big need for that here, uh, especially in the the way society is going. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, and particularly among young people too. I mean, the the need is so huge. Yeah, and you know, mostly because what they're being taught in the schools and the and the indoctrination that they're getting in public schools and, and some private schools, uh, you know, unfortunately. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. So what, what's this, uh, the, the Zion mission house that you, you got involved in and how did that begin? Sure. Yeah. Well, it, it really began with this experience of being a missionary. Um, part of, part of that was we would travel in a, in a team of 14. So there was 14 of us, men and women, and we would essentially um, arrive at a parish or, or, a, or a school, and um, it was the it was ultimately Christ, but it was Christ through us. And um, what I saw so powerful was young people seeing what Christian love looks like. The way we loved one another was very powerful and really impactful for young people. I remember we would we would stay in people's homes and uh, get to pray with them. And uh, so I saw how powerful it was to be a, a Christ-oriented community and bringing Jesus to others in the context of community. Part of that experience later was I got to live in household with other men where we would pray together, we'd work together. And I saw there where this is genius to have men living together, one for their own sake, their own salvation, their own growth and discipleship, to be able to talk faith with others daily, to be able to pray with other men daily, but it became so easy to evangelize because we could just invite people over for coffee, for dinner, for a meal, and they get to meet 10 Catholic guys who love God and love people. And so I saw how powerful it was to invite people into a setting where men were living the faith. Yeah. The Zion Mission House um, began as a as as kind of um, seeing seeing how powerful that experience was, but really the catalyst. I have to say it was Acts 2.42, where the apostles, the, the early churches is after Pentecost, and you have all these believers, and it talks about, it gives a little vision for that early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. And it goes on to say, and the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. So I, I really, it became on this conviction that like, hey, I think there's a way that we could live as church where God would be so richly in our midst, whereby God would actually be adding daily to the number of those being saved. Nice. Um, yeah, so 
this you started with another uh, gentleman, or, or was this kind of your your brainchild? That's right. Yeah, it is. It is myself, and originally eight of us actually at the beginner. So I've, I've got a co-founder, Michael Ramirez. So he's been a good brother along the whole way, um, and it just began with us having this desire for deeper community. You know, Los Angeles is is challenging in the sense that to be a part of a faith community, often it means you're traveling a lot, 30 minutes to an hour, hour and a half. We had people, um, I've known of folks coming from Orange County, you know, to be connected to groups in LA. Mm-hmm. And for me, that doesn't really make it sustainable, especially if you're a young working professional, you're trying to get, uh, you're trying to make moves in the world to, to provide for your future. And it's tough if you're just traveling yeah. all the time. So we really saw the, the gift of being able to live together to grow in faith. Um, so there was originally eight of us, um, Bishop David O'Connell in the, in, in your region actually, um, was the, the first to kind of bless us and, um, give us access to a convent. We started to live at Epiphany Catholic Church. We lived there for three years and it was such a rich experience. Um, and I've stayed good friends with the folks there at Epiphany Catholic Church. That was, that was Epiphany Catholic Church in, uh, Almani, right? In South Almani, yeah, in uh, 2017, December 1st, we started. Okay, Cord, uh, hold the thoughts. We're going to be coming back after this next break, and uh, we'll be right back with our guest, Cord Dorsey. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, where iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And uh, we have our guest uh, today is Cord Dorsey, who is a co-founder of the Zion Mission House. Cord, would you, do you have like a mission statement or what is it? Yeah. Do you have something that you've put together that tells us what, what exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it really pulls from uh, Bishop Olmsted wrote this great apostolic exhortation into the breach for men. Right. And in that he identifies that the primary crisis is really a battle for identity. And so our mission statement really comes from that. Our mission simply is to live as sons of God who share in the life of the father. And so what that means is really participating in God's life is not just to be sons, but to be participating in his life. And I like to think of the image of the two sons in the story of the prodigal son. You have the younger son who squandered everything and the older son who's just laboring, but neither of them are really uh, in the midst of the story sharing in the father's life. So it's to know our identity as beloved sons. That way we can love others like the father loves. They extend the kind of mercy that he has. So everything we do is really oriented around that growing in identity. So we've got a rhythm of prayer and brotherhood and the works of mercy in order to really grow primarily in identity. Mm-hmm. So it all works towards that end. Um, most of our guys, they'll, they'll live at the house for about two years on average. And my prayer ultimately is by the end of that, that a guy is so rooted in his identity that wherever he goes next to be a, um, the father of a family, to be a priest, we want them caring and knowing their identity. That way they can love others from that place. Very good. And, and you, I don't know if you mentioned it. What year did you start this? Yeah, we we began in December first, two thousand seventeen. Okay, and and that was the at Epiphany Church. Yeah, so that was at Epiphany Catholic Church. About a year ago, we moved to Gardena. So now we're at um, 
St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in Gardena, California. We started off as eight men. Mm -hmm. At this moment, we're 12 men. We've got 10 alumni, men who have lived at the house for various um, lengths of time. Yeah, that's And so um, do you stay, again, in a convent or uh, the rector? Yeah, that's right. We, we, we live in a convent together. It's, it's actually a really historical place. Um, mother founders of a religious order, actually lived here at some point. She's blessed, blessed Maria. And as Teresa, mm. she founded um, the Poor Claire Missionary Sisters, the Most Blessed Sacrament. And uh, so there's actually a little uh, side altar in our chapel uh, dedicated to her um, in remembrance of her. She had a missionary heart. And so she, we kind of see her as someone who's a, a patroness and someone who's praying for us. But yeah, the, of, the, of the 12 of us, um, we're actually, we're all laymen. Uh, of the 12 that currently live at the house, nine of us work secular jobs. So we've got guys who are in the world as, um, as rocket engineers, as computer engineers, as tutors, as, um, as graphic design artists. But really, the, our conviction is that the best way to grow in discipleship is to be around other disciples on a daily basis and having a rhythm of prayer together. And so the, the prayer I like to, I like to think about our life as a, as a bonfire that um, we come together and we can burn brightly, but then every day you're, you're sending these torches out into the world to burn for Jesus. Right. And, um, but then on, an, on an every day, you're kind of coming back to, to the hearth and being refueled again through it. Cause we pray liturgy the hours Monday through Friday together. So there's really a rhythm. Um, there's so much wisdom in monastic life. And we're, we're trying to capture that. What does that look like for lay persons to be living a holy rhythm of life, especially for young men? It's so critical, I think. Um, it's, it's easy um, without accountability and brothers to kind of waste your day. Oh, shoot, I spent 10 hours playing video games a day. Yeah. I had these other things to do. But, you know, one of the guys recently said his, his, the best thing at Zion Mission House is actually just the rhythm. Yeah. Where he comes in, he knows every day he's praying at this time. We've got a holy hour that happens three times a week. So if you want to pray, there's opportunity to pray. We've got the we've got our chapel. Our pastor's been so generous. Um, we have a beautiful cha tap chapel with the tabernacle. So Jesus, we live with Jesus. Wow, and I was going to ask you. It's, that. it's, it's it? such a huge, such a huge gift that every day before I go to bed, I get to take a little journey down to the tabernacle and uh, do an examination of conscience there before the Lord. And that, that means everything. Yeah. God, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, here at the, the radio studio, I'm, I'm a few, you know, a few yards away from the, the chapel. So I can go in there and, yeah, and talk to Jesus myself. So the, but to live with him, you know, 24 seven, that's uh, amazing. And I think you, what you said uh, earlier about accountability and uh, you know, uh, some parents and uh, I know my parents were this way that they were they would try to guard my my associations and my friendships because you know you hang out with the, the bad seeds and they're you know they could uh, corrupt you and so I've always said hey you know you pick your friends wisely and who you associate with who is who you become you know you hang out with you know five five losers or five criminals you're going to be the sixth and 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 consequently if you hang out with six guys on fire for the faith, you're going to also be the sixth, you know? So I yeah. think that's amazing. And then the other thing too, is that uh, our Lord never intended for us to be alone. We weren't supposed yeah. to be on an Island, right? We're supposed, supposed to be out there. He sent the apostles out two by two. And so uh, for those of us who, who don't have that association, we need to, we need to get together with like-minded men, you know, not, 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 
not necessarily to live in community, but to be have that you know those that the group setting to to come together, to be able to bounce things off one another and and just pray yeah. for one another and lift each other up and and again hold each other accountable. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ruben, I think especially especially for men, it's easy to kind of have this lone wolf mentality where I've got it all put together. I have to be strong on my own. It's me against the world. But I think that gets us into a place where um, you quickly realize like, oh, shoot, I'm alone then. And we're like you're saying, we're, we're not meant to be alone. We're meant to actually stand as brothers in the battle. We're never meant to fight alone. And so as soon as we're isolated, I, th- I think the, the enemy gets in there so much more easily yeah. if, it's, if it's just you against everything else and you feel alone, but the reality is we're, we're not alone. Um, but it does take a conscious decision to actually be committed with other men. Yeah, it sure, sure does. So, um, but, but why have a men's household? You know, could you just have a men's group? Some people might be asking. Yeah, sure. I mean, men's groups, I've, I've been a part of men's groups for years and I, I really am passionate about them. And it's, it's a great way uh, to grow in faith that the, the goodness of actually living in household, um, you know, following Jesus actually has consequences for our entire life. So the way that we live our life actually ought to be seen through that lens. That, okay, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, that affects the way I live, certainly at work, um, in my relationships, but also at home. So the great benefit and the challenge actually of living in household with other Catholic men is that my life, everything I do actually ought to flow from that place of, again, identity. And so I think because following Jesus has consequences for the way we live our life at home, especially that has significance, you know, um, most men that, that live with us are going to go on to be fathers, natural fathers, mm-hmm. um, and have families. And so to be able to establish what does home life look like for a Catholic man? Well, we have a rhythm of prayer. So the, the prayer is that that overflows. Okay, now you're a father. You have your own family. Cool. What's the rhythm of prayer look like for your family? We have a meal together once a week where guys... They, they cook, guys, guys cook. And it, it's funny how something like that can be actually pretty sanctifying for a man to be able to have that sense of like, wow, I can, I can actually um, cook and provide. I can begin to provide for other people. Um, and so those kind of rhythms, I think, actually, um, whereby we have to practice uh, being a man of God in simple ways that I can, I can wash my dishes out of love for my brother who's going to eat with that same fork next those little things actually um, done with great love are very powerful. And so living in household with other men, it means you don't get to, to slack off ever, really. You're always under the scrutiny of, of love. Am I being mindful of the other people I share my life with? And that has implications for if you have your own natural family one day or if you're a priest and you're serving your people, everything you do even those things in secret actually affect the other people in your life. That's a beauty yeah. and the call of Jesus that like everything we do actually matters, that virtue of integrity. Mm. So I think living around other men on a daily basis, it forces you to tighten up the hatches pretty quickly to have integrity. Well, I have a nephew that's a, a good young man. He's a, he's a fireman and they, they too have to cook it for the group in the day. But they have identified who some of the, the cooks have that have no business in the kitchen. Do you, <laughs> do you uh, also do that too? Or does everybody just has, gets a crack at it? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, everybody gets a crack at it. So the one, some of the fun stories have been guys who they'd never cooked a meal before in their whole life coming before. And now, hey, they're cooking. And uh, there's a sense of ownership that comes with that. One of the guys I'm thinking of particularly, you know, he, he went from eating fast food almost two, like two times a day for every day. And now he's, he's cooking for himself and the sense of ownership and pride. And now he's married, man. Now he's got a son. And so he gets to pass that skill set on and he gets to live that out in, in his family. So little things like that, like it's possible. Everyone can cook. I'm convinced of that. You can learn, you can learn how to cook a fish. You can, you can do it. Yeah. Everybody can read a, a recipe or read the exactly. instructions and go on Google or yeah, you can YouTube, you can YouTube anything nowadays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, do you see do you see this as as it's working, and 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 if so, what what fruit are you seeing? Yeah, I do see it working. Um, some of the, I'll, I'll share some of the words uh, of an alumni. This is from a, a young man that lived with us for for two and a half years, and uh, what he had to say is this: I can definitely testify to the healing aspect of Zion. And the factor where I became more free to explore my own masculinity. I've always thought that's what God has intended for Zion to be. Like a refuge for broken men to be restored and encouraged to go back into the world as new vessels and reflections of God's love. And I've always thought that because it's apparent with the people that end up entering and how they end up leaving. Just look at the fruits. It's about building men up. This young man, I'm I'm so proud of him. Um, you know, he came from an experience where he was essentially living on his own and he came into community in a powerful way. And it really transformed him to be aware. Now he's uh, he, he moved out of the house to care for his mother, who was recently widowed. And I'm so proud of him that he would make that even decision to care for his mom. Wow. All right. Uh, we got one more segment toward. So we look forward to seeing you on the other side of the break. Don't change that. Thank you, Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. So if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. We have a special guest with us today that says it's, um, <laughs> I was going to say Zion, but it's it's Cord Dorsey, who was one of the co-founders of Zion Mission House. Cord, why Zion? Where's that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, so I mentioned earlier, we pray the liturgy of the hours as a community. And there's a, there's a, um, a quote from Origin actually in there that, that was one of the inspirations and says, Zion represents heaven. And so really we seek to live in a place, you know, that we have the Lord's prayer that thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. We want to live in a place where God firstly is foremost, where he gets all the attention. He's worthy of all of our affection, attention, and praise but then also he, our love for him is reflected in our relationships together. So really Zion has to do this as a place where we can encounter God and come to know him. And in knowing him, we come to know ourselves. But then also we come to uh, live out the kind of family life he's called us to live as, as brothers. Oh, great. That sounds good. And in our conversation yesterday, you, you talked about uh, doing corporal as well as spiritual works of mercy. So what are some of the corporal works that you're, you're doing yeah, one of the um, one of our charisms is actually hospitality. So we love to have folks over to our house 
for food, for drink, uh, for gatherings once a month. Actually, this this Saturday we we host folks for a potluck after our, after mass at our parish once a month, and we see providing food for our friends and family as a great means of practicing the corporal works of mercy of feeding the hungry. We've also been out. Uh, I've led some excursions um, four times in, uh, in the last couple months, actually to go and uh, serve some of the homeless on the street in our local community. So, I mean, homelessness is such a challenge here in Los Angeles. There's a a number of uh, many, many streets actually locally where there's just tents and tents of uh, homeless on the street. So that's another way that we've, that we've lived that out in recent months. How has been their reception of you when you're out there? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's so interesting to, to come up to a camp and, uh, there's all this food littered all over the ground, actually, at these particular places where we've been. So it doesn't seem like there's a shortage of food for these folks living on the street. So really what I, what I see the need is for friendship. So to be able to meet people and just have a conversation with them mm-hmm. and offer prayers for them, I think that's the primary need of, of the human heart ultimately is for relationship. We know we're made for that. And that's no different for someone who's living on the street. They are looking for friendship and relationship and, and love ultimately. Yeah, yeah. I I, I remember um, encountering a, a friend of mine that I grew up with in, in grammar school, uh, and we 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 were friends there. But then as we got older, he went a different way. He was hanging with the wrong crowd, and so we lost contact. But uh, eventually, he dropped out of high school, and uh, I saw him on the street, and I, I had to pull over, and you know. Uh, I wanted to do something for him, and, and I remember going up to him, and he, and I said, he goes first thing out of his mouth, because he didn't recognize me. It would been it had been many years, but uh, he says, first of all, you're not going to talk to me about Jesus, are you? <laughs> I had to break the ice. I said, no, I was going to say you look like Jesus, you know. <laughs> his hair was long, he had a beard, and anyway, but uh, you know, just like you said, just to, to befriend him and that, know that that he's loved, that you know that God the Father is, is cares for him and he, he's he's special and and you know and then of course uh, it's it's just sometimes it's just not enough just to, to to say those things and pray for them, but to give them something. And so I gave you know monetarily I gave him something so that he could try to sustain himself. So uh, yeah, so it's out there ha- having this homeless community. Uh, it's it's rampant in LA, LA County. And, uh, so there's, there's no, uh, loss of souls. There's no, there's no way that you can, uh, encounter these people and go very far to, to be able to encounter them. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's great. And, um, what do you, do you, do you share the gospel message with someone? Uh, you know, so the, I mean, you look for opportunities to do that. Yeah. Um, we've certainly prayed with with people, Good. and if there's an opportunity to to share the gospel, you know, it's it's um, having a conversation can can sometimes be hard, just depending on where people's actually mental state is. I can't imagine the the trauma that occurs and the constant um, challenges of being on the streets. And so, often we'll end by. Uh, asking, would you like to receive prayers? And some of them will accept that. And some of them will, will politely decline. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just pray that God touches them um, through whatever encounter that looks like. You know, I got to give a, a shout out to the um, fraternity poor of Jesus Christ. They're a Franciscan order here in Los Angeles. Um, they go and serve the poor on Skid Row every, every Tuesday and every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And some of the brothers will go there with them on Tuesdays regularly 
And their witness, and it's particularly their, their regular witness to, to the poor on the streets is, is really wonderful. You know, I remember them sharing stories after the pandemic and they were able to go on the streets again and people were so excited to see them again. And so really that, that sense of friendship in the Lord uh, was really touching for, for these persons on the street. So the Fraternity Poor of Jesus Christ, they're, they're a wonderful order here in LA. They're founded in Brazil, um, but they're doing great work to really serve those on the street in LA. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, and a lot of people were were wondering uh, why why the uh, the COVID pandemic didn't really affect the homeless. You know, you didn't see that large uh, l- large amounts of people, you know, getting sick, or or you didn't hear about them, you know, getting di- you know dying, or, or I don't know. Maybe it was that the ability because they they were so close to each other. Where they herd immunity maybe was was going on there, or, so who knows? But that's a, yeah, I don't know, Ruben. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough crowd to to. Uh, observation. Yeah, that is a tough crowd because uh, you know, as you know, you said you said yourself the the some have mental issues, some drug addictions, uh, some are battling demons um, or both, and uh, and so most people stay away from them because they don't want to. You know, they're afraid and and whatnot. So I commend you guys to going out there and and working with them. Because that's a, a a segment of the community that's often forgotten. And uh, but uh, any are there any other um, success stories that you you want to share with us? Any uh, or evangelization story, evangelization stories? Yeah, sure. The you know so our our ministry has to do with uh, firstly the men in our house, but we also have a partnership with our parish. So. Um, Monsignor Sal Palato, our pastor here, has been so welcoming. We we have a meeting with him once a month to just kind of connect and see how can we partner with the parish, um, and we submit to his leadership. And uh, but we we hosted a, an introduction to Christianity uh, for about eight weeks through January to March. And uh, there was one. There are two stories from that that I'll share. One was a young woman who was sitting in a small group that I was hosting this day, and she was sitting with her mom. And her mom was tearing up as she was looking at me and expressing gratitude. And she was saying, thank you. What you've done here in the last four weeks, I've been trying to do for years with my daughter. And that is simply for her to come to church with me. I guess her her daughter, for whatever reason, I don't know the whole story, but had had some negative experiences with the church where she felt really turned off and she didn't feel comfortable to come. But this experience through experiencing radical hospitality, uh, she felt loved. And actually, there was emotional healing for her, she said, in prayer, where previous to this experience, she was anxious in prayer. But something about just being exposed to a community where people accepted her and loved, she was actually able to enter into more prayer and find peace. A couple of weeks later, actually, uh, she she came to adoration for the first time. And so that was really, really wonderful to see this young girl who was, when she began, not interested, not comfortable coming to church, have this experience, this healing experience where, wow, I'm actually comfortable here. I can enter into relationship with God. There was another, um, there was another woman at the, at the end of this experience who shared testimony. She said she, she had went to K through eight Catholic school and she never thought she would be a part of a church group. But she stood up in front of everyone saying, I belong here. And she encouraged everyone saying, you belong here. And for me, that was so wonderful to see this woman. Uh, you know, she, she's grown now. She's got a, a grandchild. 
but here she is selling everyone. I belong here. I belong in the church. And that, that to me was really, was really beautiful. That's awesome. And, um, you're sustained by, by various donors. I, I, as per our conversation yesterday, but if people wanted to, to help support this, this ministry, this, the mission house, how can they, how do they, how do people join? If let's say someone feels called to, to want to go into, uh, in this community life, uh, how can they join? How can they support this mission? Yeah, sure. So we have a website, zionmissionhouse.com, Z-I-O-N missionhouse.com. So folks can go on there. There's an opportunity to donate. Um, we are a, a nonprofit organization in the profit, in the process of being federally tax exempt. So any donations today are actually tax deductible, provided that that goes through. And then for any men who are interested actually in living a holy life, any lay men who want to, they want an experience of prayer and brotherhood in community. We love, we'd love to, to have a conversation. So on our, on our website, zionmissionhouse.com, you can go and there's an apply button. You can fill out a little application and, and I'll give you a call. Um, there's no strings attached. Just you can express interest. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a call and we can have a conversation to see what that might look like. Great. And, you know, since um, the, our platform extends to across the, the country and, you know, the world, um, being on the Internet, if somebody, you know, someone uh, from this listening to this conversation with us, with you and, and I, if they wanted to perhaps start something like similar to this. How would they go about doing that? Could, do you, would you mentor some someone in doing so? Yeah, you know, I've, I've advised a number of people to this point who are starting houses. Uh, there's, there's a young man coming from Colorado who's going to live with us for a period of time to, to learn and then go back and bring the experience to, to his community. So, yeah, I, I would love to talk to people who are in that who are in that place where they have a desire for community, not sure how to pull it off. We kind of open source everything we do. We felt that God, it, everything we have is a gift. And so we want to freely give it to you. So if, if you're out there and you have a call, wow, I'd love to create a household like this, but I have no idea where to start. I would love to have that conversation with you. So you can find my, my uh, contact information on our website. Um, you can also email cord at zionmissionhouse.com, cord at zionmissionhouse.com. I would love to, love to be able to work with you and talk to you, hear your desires, pray for you and offer any help I can. Wonderful. Any last parting words, Zion, last few seconds that we have? Sure. Well, God bless you all. Thank you for your time. May the Lord bless you richly. Thanks, Zion, for being with us. Uh, and you're doing great things for the church and you're building men up. And uh, we certainly need that in our in our day and age. We, we, we need men to be the leaders that they're called to be. So thank, thank, thank God for, for your your uh, acceptance and your, for your fiat, for your saying yes. All right. Thank you for being with us. You've been listening to Jesus 911. Stay tuned for Hands On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda from the Midwest Command Center. We are 10-8, now. 10-7. In the watch. Take care. Keep the faith.